God doesn't want us to live the Christian life. He wants to live the Christian life in us and through us. And he does that when we accept Christ and gives us the, the Holy Spirit. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's today's message. Well, I don't usually get to preach with Pastor Dan being here, so my critic is out there. <laughs> uh, I come before you with fear and trepidation, and always a privilege to be able to pinch hit for Pastor Dan. He's uh, a man of God, and uh, we've we got to give him a break every once in a while, so... Today's message, how does the Holy Spirit minister to us? And this is going to be, uh, Pastor Dan always talks about uh, opening a fire hose of information. Well, I think m- mine's going to be more like, a, more like a tsunami coming at you. It's, it's going to be, uh, this is a topical uh, presentation here. It's not, I'm not picking out a certain passage in uh, expounding upon it. We're going to be jumping all over the place with different uh, scriptures. But I'll have them all up there for you. You don't have to feather through your Bible. But this is going to be a 40,000-foot a overview of how the Holy Spirit uh, does all the heavy lifting in our lives. We're not called to live the Christian life, but God doesn't want us to live the Christian life. He wants to live the Christian life in us and through us. And he does that when we accept Christ and he gives us the, the Holy Spirit, takes up residence in us and wants to live the Christian life in us and through us. So with his leading and us following, that's how we're to live the Christian life. Uh, in the Old Covenant, we're going to take a look at, uh, for we'll first look at how the Holy Spirit was ministering in the Old Covenant and how God has changed him with the New Covenant with, covenant with the coming of Christ. Uh, the Holy Spirit took on a whole different role and now we have access. When Jesus died, the curtain was cut. You know, in the Old Testament, there would be sacrifices that they would have to bring and uh, God seemed far off. He was not present uh, forever in believers, but he was something that they had to go through the, the leaders to get to the message to. Uh, we're going to look at here how the Holy Spirit was work, at work. The Holy Spirit was at work from the beginning as creator. As we see in Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Um, A few verses later in Genesis 1.25, God says, let us make man in our own image. The Godhead was there present from the beginning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were all there as part of creation. Um, So God was... From the beginning, the Holy Spirit was there. Um, Then the Holy Spirit was at work empowering people for service. Um, In Exodus 35, we read this, Then Moses said to the people of Israel, 
See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood for work in every skilled craft. Um, when I read this passage, I thought, wow, that's the Jim Warren of... The original Jim Warren of Wonder Lake Bible Church has these same gifts, the gift of craftsmanship. Uh, later, we're going to go through real quickly just the spiritual gifts, but this particular passage here is uh, the spiritual gift of craftsmanship. Uh, and th this was uh, the man who was filled with the Spirit in order to build the original tabernacle. All that went with... Uh, setting up the tabernacle for, for God to be the dwelling place, uh, went into the Holy Spirit's guiding this man. Also, the Holy Spirit was at work empowering people for leadership. In Deuteronomy 34, we read this, Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. And then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. So here we, we see it's not because Moses' body had failed, that the reason that they were passing the torch, but God had determined that Joshua was going to be the new man to lead him into the promised land. Moses was a, truly a man of God, and it says he was a, probably the humblest man that ever lived in the Bible, but he had his, he had his faults. And uh, this was going to be the passing of the torch where a new leader was going to lead him into the promised land. And the, this was to fulfill God's plan for the redemption of mankind. In 1 Samuel 16, we read this. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Here we read that the Lord was anointing David with the Holy Spirit. And this was one of the rare, where it says here, he will be anointed from this day forward. This was one of the rare Old Testament ones where he said, this spirit's going to be with David throughout. Uh, David called, or God called man, David a man after his own heart. And it wasn't because David was perfect. He fell into sin and, and had, but he kept short accounts with God. You could read in the Psalms where he cried out, God, help me, I know I'm failing. And that's what God wants of us. He just wants us to be to look at our own lives and be introspective and say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I fall short. See if there's any wicked way in me 
and lead me in the way of, of everlasting. So God wants us to keep short accounts with him, and, that, and he'll lead us by the Holy Spirit. Um, the Holy Spirit's presence was not permanent like it is now. We read in 1 Samuel 16, it says, Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. So the Lord gave out the Spirit. The Holy Spirit was with, uh, was with uh, Saul at the beginning. It says, Saul prophesied. And, it's, and then they were wondering, is Saul also among the prophets? But here it says Saul wasn't truly a man after God's own heart like David was. He fell short. And uh, in Matthew Henry commentary, it says this. It says, this was the effect of, of Saul rejecting God and the evidence of God rejecting him as a result. If God and his grace do not rule us, sin and Satan will have possession of us by divine permission. We know the story of Job where Job was a righteous man, but God allowed Satan to, to have access to him as a test. But Job passed the test ultimately. He had his faults too, but he basically said, well, though God slay me, I still will worship him. And that, that should be our, our motto too. God knows best. And we need to follow him and, and stick with the, the scriptures and, and what they say and obey them. And then God will take us the next step. He will show us the next step to take in life. David pleaded with God not to take away the Holy Spirit. In Psalm 51, we read this, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold in me a willing spirit. David saw what happened to Saul, and he feared that his sin would be, the result of his sin would be that the Holy Spirit would be taken away from him. So here he was keeping short accounts, and the Lord honored that. The Lord didn't take away the Holy Spirit from, from David, but used him in a mighty way. David knew that without the Holy Spirit constantly renewing his spirit, he would lose his close relationship with God. And so it is with us. There are several indications of less powerful and less extensive work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Covenant. The Holy Spirit came to a few people with significant power for ministry. As we saw with Moses and Joshua, in the Old Testament, God would tend to fill leaders with the Spirit, and then uh, he would speak through these leaders to the people. And, the, and uh, the, the people were to, I mean, we still have leaders today. We have Pastor Dan, we have our elders and deacons here, but we are all filled with the Spirit of God if we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So the Holy Spirit is going to minister to us in a different way than he did back in the Old Testament. Yes, he's still going to minister through our leaders, but he's also going to minister through applying his word in our lives, reading the word, understanding the word, and applying it. As we obey, he fills us with the Spirit and allows us to take the next step. In Numbers eleven sixteen and 17, we read this. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it yourself alone. God's redemption plan begins with begins to include others here so they can come alongside their leader and help execute God's plan. Uh, Moses cried out to the Lord, basically, and, and I think often, uh, I wonder if Pastor Dan ever did this, he cried out and says, Lord, I need some help. I can't carry these people alone. Why did you give them all to me? And he says, if that's the case, just kill me now. And I... I think about Pastor, I wonder if Pastor Dan ever said that about his congregation, you know. I can't carry these people all alone. That's why the Lord has gifted each one of us, and we're to come alongside each other and use those gifts, uh, not only to glorify God, but to edify others. That's what spiritual gifts are given for. Moses longed for the day, that when, which was the new covenant, Moses was looking forward to the new covenant when the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all of God's people like it is now. In Numbers eleven twenty six through 29, we read this. Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the Spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. <laughs> yeah, I think there was, was a real young man, like five or six years old. <laughs> and, Joshua, and Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. So... I think the, the young man and Joshua there is, hey, this is not what we're used to. This is not right. But the Lord was pouring out his spirit on, on others at that time. And, and Moses was happy with it. He says, finally, the Lord's going to help me out here. Now we're going to look at how the Holy Spirit ministers to us in the new covenant. I heavily, I used uh, Wayne Grudem's systematic theology book, uh, go through that. I rely heavily whenever I'm going to give a talk because I think he, he puts a lot of words of wisdom in that book. And uh, this is what he said. He says, the day of Pentecost was much more than an individual event in the lives of Jesus' disciples and those with them. It was the point of transition between the old covenant work of the Holy Spirit and the new covenant work of the Holy Spirit. So God was going to change the way he poured out his spirit on on people. And, uh, of course, the coming of Christ was the transition point, as we said. It was the the ripping of the curtain in two, and now we had access to the Holy of Holies, which we didn't have access to before. In Acts 1, 4 through 5, we read this. And while staying with them, He, meaning Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. 
For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now Jesus was prophesying here the coming of the pouring out of the Spirit. Um, the disciples, as Grudem says in his book, the disciples were obviously born again. They were saved before this, but they, they didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. This was the transition point uh, in, the, in the day of Pentecost when God would pour out or allow the Holy Spirit to be poured out on uh, all who believe in Jesus Christ. Not only poured out on them, but they would have the Spirit forever. That would never leave them nor forsake them. So we have access to the Holy Spirit 24-7, something they didn't have in the Old Testament. Do we always take advantage of it? No, not as we should. And we'll see some scriptures here coming up that say how the Holy Spirit ministers to us. And we have available the Holy Spirit 24-7. We have God's present living in us. We are the, new, we are the tabernacle now. So God is indwelling us and empowering us. In Acts 2, verses 1 through 8, we read about when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So this, this gift of tongues given through the Holy Spirit, here this was a, a temporary gift given to the apostles at that point to be used to prophesy, and, and the power of the Holy Spirit came upon them. We see it's like wind and tongues of fire. This was a sign that God was now going to pour out His Spirit on all believers, but this was the first time, even though the apostles were saved before, Peter confessed, Jesus asked, who am I? And he confessed, you are the Son of God, the Holy One, the Son of God. And uh, Jesus said, yeah, my Father's revealed that to you. So they, they were born again, saved before, but they, they didn't have the Holy Spirit until the day of Pentecost. And that's the, the beginning point of where Jesus was going to pour out his spirit on all believers. It says, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, the remaining of Acts, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation and under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us, each of us hears in his own la- native language? Again, this, this was tongues poured out. I don't believe, uh, there are some who believe that they're, they're called cessationists who don't believe the, the spiritual gifts are still given to people. Um, I believe this was a unique time where the spirit of tongues was used in a practical way. But I still think God does pour, pour out the spirit of tongues, and it's used, it's used in different ways, I think mostly on, on the mission field. Some would disagree with me. They say, no, God doesn't pour out the spiritual gifts anymore. But 
I think if you really expand your mind on what it means, you would understand. I want to tell you a story about my daughter. Uh, I was youth leader here in this church back in when my kids were in high school, back in the mid, mid to late 90s. Seems like a million years ago now. But, and I tell you what, God used that as a time in my life for tremendous spiritual growth, growth because I was stepping out, and uh, if you've ever been involved in youth ministry, you know it can be a challenge. And we had our challenges, but we also had God working in our lives, and the presence of the Spirit was, was great at that time here in this church. We had just gone through a split, and we were kind of rebuilding and the Holy Spirit was working with the ones who were left here. We were building up, and we had a pretty good youth group. We had, you know, we normally had about a dozen, maybe sometimes we even had 20 or more. And uh, the kids were on fire. We got hooked up with uh, a ministry called Teen Mania Ministries. Many of you never heard of it. It was the time of, uh, of Promise Keepers, if you remember that movement. And uh, the men were all going to Promise Keepers at that time. And uh, so Teen Mania Ministries decided that they were going to start some stadium events for ch- just for teens. And so they started the Acquire the Fire and had it. Uh, I remember we, we took our youth group and went to Detroit in the Silverdome. There was about 20,000 screaming teenagers there enjoying the music of... Uh, It was Newsboys, I think, and Kirk Franklin. And they offered offered you to sign up to go on a short-term mission trip uh, at the end of uh, presenting the gospel. They had several good speakers, and then they presented, you should really take a short-term mission trip. And my daughter signed up for it, and uh, she ended up going with this group. Now, it was a group of Pentecostal believers, and they were, they were big on speaking in tongues, and they kept asking her, have you spoken tongues yet? Are, are you truly saved? Have you been baptized in the Spirit? And she was like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I accept you, Jesus. I have the Holy Spirit. But they were insistent. Well, you're not speaking in tongues, so we're not sure. But it turned out to be a, a wonderful experience. She went to... Uh, Kenya one year, and then I think the following year she ended up going to Peru. But they put on a mime skit, and they presented it to the natives there. Now, the, in Kenya, the language is Swahili. Very few of them speak English. But the mime, they could understand. The skit was basically the story of Jesus Christ crucified, you know, this innocent man was subject to death on a cross, and then he came back to life and forgave those who put him on that cross. And many of the, the, the Kenyan people who were there witnessing the mime, you could see the tears coming down their, their eyes. They had an emotional experience based on the skit. How could Someone be tortured, died, come back to life, and then forgive those who who did that to him. 
And so they were invited then to come, and through a translator, the gospel was shared with them, and many came to Christ. And I thought, you know what? If you expand your mind out, this is exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost. They didn't speak a word, but they did a skit. And as they were doing that skit, obviously they were thinking about it in their own language, but without saying a word, those out there, the Kenyans, and later the, those in Peru, the same effect. They were understanding that in their own language, and it was kind of like the day of Pentecost all over again. So were, were they speaking in tongues? No, not if we say tongues, but does tongues have to be spoken? I, th- I think not. If, if, uh, if it were... Charlie there would be very upset because he needs American Sign Language in order to communicate with us. So you don't think speaking in tongues isn't always verbalizing, but it, it, it could be a skit as well, a mime skit. God works through that, and he worked powerfully both in Kenya and in Peru. I'm not sure we're going to have time to go through all of these new New Testament scriptures, but we're going to get to as many as we can. How the Holy Spirit, and I have 12 of them, how the Holy Spirit works in us now in the New Testament. Number one, the Holy Spirit draws the unsaved sinner to Jesus. Looking in John 6.44, we read this. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. And you think about it, you know, no one can come to the Father unless they're drawn in, unless the Holy Spirit works on their hearts first. When we're enemies of Christ before we come to him and accept him, we don't want anything to do with, with the things of the Bible, with, the, with, with Jesus. We're unable to raise ourselves up because we're dead in our sin. A dead man can't raise himself up. He needs to be born again, born of the Spirit of God. And, and that's what happens to us. The Holy Spirit works on our hearts. The gospel is shared with us somehow, either through another person or we begin reading the Bible. And then we understand that Jesus wants to have a personal relationship with us. And without him, we can't, be, we can't go to heaven. We can't see the Father. So the Spirit works on us even before we're, we know it. He's preparing our hearts to accept Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12.3, we read this, Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. If you don't believe this is true, try invoking the name of Jesus in the public square. You'll find out how people react. There's either a, you're either a Jesus lover or you're a Jesus hater. There's almost nothing in between. Uh, so when you're trying to witness, and uh, if, it's, if it's someone who's not born again, who doesn't understand where you're coming from, and they're controlled by Satan and, not, and the Holy Spirit hasn't got a hold of them yet, yeah, you're going you're gonna to get some adverse reaction out there. But Jesus tells us, don't worry about that, you know. They hated me, they're going to hate you too.
but don't let it stop you. Um, second, the Holy Spirit convicts believers and unbelievers. In John 16, 7 through 11, we read this. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Two types of conviction we're looking at here. If you're not convicted to change, you'll be convicted for your crimes. Crimes, of course, being sin against God. If you're not convicted that Jesus is Lord and you need to change and accept him as, as your Savior, then you'll, you'll die in your sins and you'll be convicted and you'll end up not being with God forever, but get what you deserve. Third, the Holy Spirit regenerates our human spirits. Titus 3, 4 through 6, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that this Holy Spirit regenerates us, washes us clean when we come to Jesus. He renews our hearts and our minds, and he pours himself into us to fill us and to overflow onto others. The Spirit energizes us, empowers us, shows us the way of righteousness, and we'll see he, he brings back we were, he helps us to remember the scriptures that we have in our hearts, that we've, we've read and we've memorized. Fourth, the Holy Spirit draws us closer to the Lord. Ephesians 2.18 And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. The Holy Spirit is the author of God's word, and he alone is, has the right interpretation of God's word. He helps us obey God's word, which again transforms us. As we obey, God shows us more and gives us more, and we understand his word more. We were once enemies with God. Before we accepted Christ, we were sinners, separated from God and on our way to what we deserve. But God made us his children. He adopted us in. As we accept Christ, he adopts us in. Now we're part of his family. And now he's part of, part of his household. So he's going to treat us as sons. In fact, Scripture says we're joint heirs with Christ. He's going to bestow us every, every spiritual blessing, and uh, the Holy Spirit is going to lead us and guide us the rest of our lives. Fifth, the Holy Spirit will sanctify us in the Lord. 2 Thessalonians 2.3. Yeah, I told you this was going to be a tsunami. It keeps, just keeps coming at us. But you can see here how the Holy Spirit does all the heavy lifting. 
Uh, we're not to live the Christian life on our own. He wants to live it in us and through us. Second Thessalonians 2.13, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. When we think about salvation, a lot of us tend to think, oh, that's something that happened to me when I first accepted Christ, when we were regenerated, when we were born again. But I think the scriptures teach that regeneration and conversion is you were saved. Sanctification is you are being saved. You're in the process of being saved. And glorification is you will be saved. So it's past, present, and future. You're, you're, you were saved, you're being saved, and you will be saved. If you're truly born again, you'll go through all three processes. The Lord will bring you through it and he'll lead you. If you were, didn't have a, a genuine conversion, if you weren't regenerated and, and, and converted to Christ, then Jesus really isn't your Savior. You might have had some type of false conversion, but you won't make it through the rest of the, the process that the Lord will bring you through. Maybe you'll be saved later in life. If your name is written in the book of, the, book of life, I think the Lord's going to save you one way or another. In fact, I read in, uh, in uh, Voice of the Martyrs, I get Voice of the Martyrs magazine, and it was reported that uh, what they know about, the Lord is saving about 3,000 Muslims per year, and that, these are just the ones that they know about. About 3,000 Muslims a year are coming to Christ just based on dreams, dreams that they had. Nobody witnessed to them. Christ came through them through a dream, and they forsake their... When a, when a Muslim accepts the Lord, they're, they're banned from their family. They're basically kicked out and persecuted heavily. So they give up everything, but the, Jesus is coming to them through dreams. So... Does Jesus need us to witness for him? No. Does he want us to witness for him? Yes. And I think because not only does, is it the, God's message going through people, but it's, it's his method of sanctifying us through and through. So the, it, it, it's not for Christ that we witness. It's for ourselves. It's him working in us and through us and sanctifying us and... Uh, as we obey him and, and speak out to others about Christ, the Holy Spirit fills us and God shows us even more and brings us further in our walk with him. So he draws us closer to Christ. Six, the Holy Spirit helps us with our prayer life. Romans eight twenty six and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Have you ever said, I'm not sure how I should pray in this situation? That happened to, to me yesterday. My wife said to me, I'm not sure how I should pray here. And I think what God's telling us here is just pray that message to God. I'm not sure how I should pray in this situation, Lord. Guide me and teach me. 
The Holy Spirit will take our, our weak words and he'll look what's in our hearts. You know, sometimes our words don't match up with what's in our hearts. He'll take them and, and then adjust it to match God's perfect will. I think that's what this scripture is telling us here. He'll take our, our weak words and he'll make them come out according to his will. So he's at work in us that way too. Prayed many a weak prayer that I thought was weak, but the Lord has, has used it. Oftentimes when you have a lot of flowery words and you think you're doing a good job, those, those aren't the prayers that, that, uh, that God can use, but that weak prayer, just God help me. In fact, one prayer I like to pray in the morning is, Lord help me to remember that nothing's going to happen today that you and I can't handle. Uh, more of him, less of me. Seven, the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. John 16, 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own, on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. If you've read the scriptures at all, you know that Jesus often said that he didn't come to do his own will, but he came to do the will of the Father. And now he says the Holy Spirit does the same for him. He will take the words of Jesus and remind you and declare them to you. So the, the Holy Spirit is the, the third person of the Trinity. One God, three persons. And you can see here how all are, are working in perfect unity. They're all bringing glory to one another. In Romans 8.14 we read, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So the, the Lord has poured out all our, His Spirit upon us. And we are to be led by the Spirit. In fact, the Christian life is one of relying heavily on, on God to live it the Holy Spirit living in us and through us. It's not us. It's more of him, less of us. Eighth, the Holy Spirit will teach us all things. In John 14, 25 and 26, we read this. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. This is Jesus speaking, obviously. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. In some translations, helper is counselor. What does a counselor do for us? We go to a counselor when we, when we need some help. Maybe we get tripped up in some, some way and we go to a counselor and the counselor reminds us what's right, what we should be doing. Um, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. The word, if, and you have to get the word into you. You have to have the Bible somewhat, some knowledge of the Bible. So as a, one of the Christian disciplines is to do your daily Bible reading so that the Holy Spirit can use what you've read and what, you, what you've stored in your heart. The Holy Spirit brings it up, especially when you have a tough situation uh, in your life where you're being tested. You need to bring out that scripture that the Holy Spirit's going to remind you of, of what Jesus said, 
on how to handle that situation and give you the power and the strength to do it. So in order to have knowledge of what Jesus said, we must read it, we must study it, and we must retain what, what the Lord has spoken through his word. The word is the main, the main way we get uh, what Jesus said in our, in our hearts. 9 and 10, I kind of group these together. The Holy Spirit will fill us and anoint us with his divine power. In Ephesians 5.18, we read this. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be, be filled with the Spirit. Filled here is a, a constant filling. It's not a one-time deal. It's uh, the analogy they often use is it's like a gas tank. You know, you're going along and you're running out of gas. You need a, you need a filling. You need the, the Holy Spirit in your life to lead you and help you to do what, what Jesus asks you to do. So it's in uh, the one-to-one discipleship study, I think, gives a good illustration of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. You do the spiritual breathing. And what that is is you exhale and you, you confess your sins to the Lord. And he promises us, uh, like in 1 John 1.9, he says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all righteousness. Even though we're believers, we still sin. We need to keep those short accounts with God and be filled with the Spirit. Though we have access to the Holy Spirit 24-7, we don't take advantage of it. And being filled with the Spirit is, we should do it, it's something we need. We need the filling of the Spirit every day, every moment by moment, actually, because without it, Jesus tells us, apart apart from him, we can do nothing. And uh, the Holy Spirit filling us and guiding us is the one who empowers us to to live the Christian life and pour out what he has given us onto others to edify them. In 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 through 5, we read this, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. I've often heard said by some believers that the sinner's prayer is not a good thing to, to use. Uh, but I, I would say in the right situation that the, you should rethink that. The sinner's prayer is just a tool for someone who's trying to lead a, another to Christ. And when the Holy Spirit reveals that he's working on the person you're talking to, and they want to know more, they want to know, the, the sinner's prayer is just a tool to help you seal the deal on them accepting the Lord, uh, Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Um, it shouldn't be used if you don't sense the Holy Spirit is leading them to ask questions or, or gain knowledge about, about the Lord Jesus Christ and accepting him as personal Savior. But when your spirit senses that the Holy Spirit is working on that person, the sinner's prayer is a, a great tool to use to lead them to Christ. And then there's, don't leave it at that. But I think it's important that you get them plugged in to a local body of a good church, a local body of believers, so that they can 
hear the word preached from the pulpit, and uh, we have a good one here. Good church to get a person plugged into who has just come to Christ because pastor sticks to the word and he, he doesn't veer off in all kinds of crazy directions. He, he sticks to it and he, he preaches out of, out of the Bible and through the Holy Spirit. So it's important that uh, you get a new believer plugged in, not only to hear the word from the pulpit, but to see other believers and learn from them. When I first accepted the Lord and came to this church, I learned so much from the, the elders and, and deacons in the church. It was amazing. God used that as a spiritual growth in my life when I first came to him. Number 11, the Holy Spirit will produce his fruit in us in ever-increasing measure. Galatians 5, and 23, we read this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. To this, I would say, be a critical fruit inspector, but only when it comes to examining your own fruit. The Lord didn't say in, in, the, in the Bible to so let a man examine his neighbor. He said, so let a man examine himself. So when it comes to the fruit, I think we should be introspective, examining our fruit and say, you know, Holy Spirit, where am I, where am I failing? Where do I need to grow? What, which of these fruits of the Spirit don't I have? Be careful if you pray for patience, though. <laughs> uh, it can be, you'll get a test. Um, lastly, um, the Holy Spirit will give us spiritual gifts. And I've listed them up there. Uh, in this church, we go through a network class. It's this book, a Spiritual Gifts Assessment. Now, there are others out there. There are other good ones. We chose this one because we are part of, uh, of the network of uh, Willow Creek Association. And this is there, came out of Willow Creek. And I think it's a good one. Uh, I've listed them up there. I'm not going to go through all of them. Uh, I'm just, just going to say that he's given sp spiritual gifts to all believers. And we're to use them. One, we're to use them to glorify God. The first and second greatest commandment. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love others as yourself. When you're given spiritual gifts to use, you're one, supposed to honor and, and glorify the Lord with them. And second, you're to edify those around you. Now, we've each been given one or more of these gifts, and we're to use them not only to, to honor and glorify the Lord, but we're here to use them to edify those around us. And, I, and what a perfect church we would have if we were all using our gift to, to edify, to glorify God and to edify others. It would be a community the way God meant it to be. And our pastor wouldn't be crying out, Lord, if I have to do this all myself, kill me now. <laughs> because uh, we'd be operating as, as God meant it to be. We'd be using the Holy Spirit in us and the gifts he's given us, not only to glorify God, but to, to edify those who are not only in the body, but those who will soon be a part of the body. 
getting them in and saved and accepting Jesus Christ as our Savior. The, the job of the church is to make disciples. And it starts with leading others to Christ. And then once they are part of the body, teaching them how to obey all that I've commanded you. And teaching isn't only standing up here and preaching. It's leading by example. I know we fall short, but with the Holy Spirit's help, and if we love one another as we're, as we're supposed to do, as the Scriptures command us to do, then the Holy Spirit will work and we'll be a, a body that's functioning and bringing glory to God as we should. So, uh, we'll close us in prayer. Father, thank you for, thank you for Jesus Christ. And thank you for the Holy Spirit who not only guides us, empowers us, teaches us, admonishes us when necessary, and shows us the way. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for for all you do for us. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for us, for rising again, conquering sin and death. And now we honor you and glorify you by telling others what a great awesome God you are. Empower us now and let us be filled with the Spirit so that we can do the things that you want us to do inside the will of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.